What are your favorite Christmas colors? Do you have one? You go out, you go watch, the, look at the Christmas lights, you go look at a Christmas tree. There's a theme, right? There are colors that we associate with Christmas. Green, we have two, I don't know, probably 30 to 40 foot spruce trees in our front yard. They're green all the time. Never seen them turn any other color. We associate that with Christmas. White as well, I suppose because of snow and ice and just hit me this morning, like we have Christmas cookies with icing, like ice. Like how come I never thought like ice and icing might be connected, like it's white typically and you have to color it, ice, icing. I don't know, it just hit me this morning, just thinking about it. Red, uh, maybe you like red, poinsettias, holly berries, and a jolly, happy, bearded guy in a suit, that's red. We associate with Christmas. What about blue? You associate that with Christmas? We were out uh, looking at Christmas lights. My wife and I were out together, and we drove by this one house around the corner, and it's, you know, it's pretty striking, but just totally covered with blue lights. And we both said the same thing almost at the same time. Oh, that looks very cool. Not like awesome cool, but like cool, cold, that sort of thing. Christmas can actually be sort of blue and a blue experience for some of us. We experienced a loss a few weeks ago. My father-in-law passed away, and it has made me a little more sensitive to how Christmas affects people who have lost someone. Blue can actually be a pretty uh, descriptive color for many people at Christmas. Did you also know that last week was the longest night of the year? Praise the Lord, we're past it. In some Christian traditions, and I actually like this tradition, I've thought about it in the past, but it really has hit me obviously this year because of my father-in-law passing. Some people have a traditional blue Christmas service, and they do it this last week of Advent connected to the longest night of the year because it's symbolic, right? When you've had a deep sadness, it feels like a dark night, And the reason why some Christian traditions choose to do a blue Christmas service, which is in honor of those who have lost someone close to them or experienced loss this past year, um, they choose to do it on this day because it's symbolic of the longest night of the year is in the past and the sun is just getting brighter. There's hope connected, recognition of loss, and also hope connected to the fact that there is light coming. I like that symbolism. I think that's really beautiful. This won't exactly be a blue Christmas service. However, if you are experiencing a blue Christmas, I think Joy to the World is a really helpful hymn. And it's not for the reason you might think. I'm not thinking it's a great Christmas hymn for you because you just should rejoice. Actually, the hymn has got a lot of deep, rich meaning. Whether you are in a season where you're just coming off of just having a lot of enjoyment, just celebrated Christmas with your family and you were full of joy and it was a, really a great time. Maybe, you know, we were, I can't remember, one of my kids did a, one of these goofy, what's your favorite color, what's your favorite animal, and then they'll tell you goofy things. We laughed about it. One of them was, what's your favorite color and why? Red was mentioned because it makes people feel energetic or creative whether you're experiencing sort of some, something that would be on the typical joyful side of things or whether you have experienced something in the last year 
and this Christmas season where it's a little bit more difficult or maybe even deeply sad, I think Joy to the World has a message for us. Joy to the World, um, first of all, I want to say it's past Christmas, but we'll be doing this Christmas song series for several more weeks. You might ask why, and I'll give you two reasons this morning. One is, of course, these songs are connected to a certain season, Christmas, memories. We actually usually only sing them during a certain season, but their meaning and their symbolism and their truths apply a lot farther than just that season. I know many of you would know that. But secondly, many of them, like today's song, Joy to the World, actually weren't specifically focused on Christmas by the authors. This song is not written by Isaac Watts, who's the one that wrote it, to be a Christmas hymn. But we have connected it to that that holiday. There's reasons for that which we'll touch on. Joy to the World was actually not inspired by the nativity story. We'll sing it later and you'll notice None of the typical things like we just sang about in those first three Christmas hymns are present. There's no wise men, no shepherds, no manger, no nativity, no star, none of that. Because it wasn't written to be Christmas hymn, it was actually inspired by Psalm 98. And what Isaac Watts did is he took Psalm 98, verses 4 through 9, let me read a few verses, of a portion of that, which says this, let the whole earth shout to the Lord, be jubilant. Shout for joy and sing. Sing to the Lord. Shout triumphantly in the presence of the Lord our King. Let the sea and all that fills it, the world and those who live in it, resound. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains shout for, together for joy before the Lord. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world righteously and the peoples fairly. Jesus is coming to judge. He's the King. And that's a reason for joy Kind of seems like, I don't know if I'd really say that exactly, but it is. And what Isaac Watts did is he took this psalm, which was written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus lived, and he gave it a New Testament context. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Isaac Watts, who wrote this hymn and many, many, many other hymns that you know, if you grew up in the church, you you might not even grow up in the church and know some of his hymns. He has some really famous ones. Of course, Joy to the World is famous. He was a brilliant By age four, Isaac Watts had learned Latin. Four. Got any four-year-olds in the house? You know Latin? I mean, this is like just a God-given gift. By age nine, he had mastered Greek. By age 11, he added French. And by age 13, he mastered one of the most difficult languages to learn, which is Hebrew. By 13. Amazing. He was a brilliant young man. However, he was denied entrance into the best schools of the day because of his religious convictions. He was what in that day was called a nonconformist. He couldn't go to Oxford or Cambridge. He was in England, although he easily could have got a Fulbright scholarship if they had such a thing, which they probably did. Isaac Watts also was a bit rebellious. He was the son of a pastor. He was a little discontent and like, I can identify with that because I, I feel like that has partly been my life a little bit, rebellious, a little discontent, and you might decide to look at one thing and say, oh, that, that's not very good, that should be better. Well, Isaac Watts was in church, and he started recognizing, I don't really like the church singing. The music stinks, is maybe how he would not have said it, but what he thought. And so he complained to his dad about it, 
about the dry, old lyrics that nobody could connect with, about the dispassionate singing by the congregation. And his dad did something really wise. He do something about it. You don't like it? Change. He challenged his son to do something about it. And so what Isaac Watts did is he gave himself for a season, and he continued to do this throughout his life, to writing updated hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs. Guess what? People didn't like it. It was pretty controversial. They liked the old hymns. They didn't want new stuff. Now, for you and I, Isaac Watts stuff is now old hymns. And I'm old enough to know, probably two or three decades ago, that in many churches there were things called the worship wars, which was, we want to update our music and our song list and our, and our music style, but there's this old, supposedly more spiritual style. I just want to say, if you like old hymns, like, actually, I really love the hymns, just realize that they were once controversial songs that people didn't want to sing. So it's just happened throughout. We just all have a hard time with change. If you really like hymns, they're, they're really rich. Um, but Isaac Watts and many of the modern hymn writers, like so let's just say like only 100 or 200 years old, had the same uphill battle of trying to write songs that would inspire passionate, God-focused, worshipful singing, and it was hard for them to get their music out there. That's just a side note. So it's just history. I just think that's funny that Isaac Watts, a very famous hymn writer, sort of wasn't accepted because his hymns were too modern. <clears throat> joy to the world. Let's look at this. And what we're going to look for is we're going to look for reasons for joy to the world. And we'll find at least one in each. I'm going to point out one in each stanza, but you might find others. Joy to the world, verse 1 says, the Lord is come. Let earth receive its king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing. I want you to notice, and I will say this repeatedly, this song is present tense. The Lord is come. It isn't the Lord has come, or the Lord had come, or the Lord did come. It's the Lord is come. Actually, this verse is probably partly why a Christmas connection was added. Because we think about when the Lord came as a baby, and that's probably one of the reasons this hymn became connected to Christmas, but what Isaac Watts was pointing out is that the, the Lord is king now for you and I when he wrote it. The Lord is come. That's one reason for joy. Because Jesus is a good king. <laughs> He's really good. And as David shared in the kids' message, he wants to be present with each person at a heart level. That's where he wants to rule. He will rule over all of the physical universe and the world around us, but he really desires to come and be Lord of hearts. And that's what Isaac Watts was pointing out. It's really where joy comes from. <clears throat> Jesus has come. And while he's not present in the body now, what we celebrate at Christmas is that he did come. Colossians 2.9, which we shared 
on our Christmas Eve service says this, for the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. I actually like the alternate, more straightforward version. For the entire fullness of God's nature lives in a human body in Christ. That's really what that verse is saying more poetically. God came and lived in a human body. The incarnation, the more you think about it, the more you meditate on it, which means when God put on flesh, is mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. <laughs> but God in the flesh is come, and he is the king, and he did raise to life in an actual body, and he will exist forever in an actual body like we will if we put our faith in Christ, which is probably why that first, that first stanza connects it to Christmas. Let's look at verse 2. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy. If you look at Psalm 98, you begin to see a lot more of these connections. Psalm 98, the theme of it is how God is king over all, and that everything in creation gives praise to God. And the, and the encouragement is for us to join in. Have you seen a sunset that sings praise to God this year? I've seen many. Or a sunrise. Or maybe, like the other day, a couple days ago, we had that frost come in, and then the trees were just covered in white. That sings praise to God. It gives glory to God. One other, the, the other reason, and there's a theme here, the Lord is come, again, that's present tense, and secondly, the Savior, and I'll just say a word that makes a little more sense that's not so religious, the rescuer reigns. The rescuer. Your rescuer is the king. My rescuer is the king. Every part of creation that Christ has made, Christ will rule and reign over. You could think about it this way. Christmas is a season, it's a time of year, but it's also an exclamation that reverberates throughout all of time and all of the universe that says, Jesus, my rescuer, is reigning right now. In Psalm 98, which inspired this, and this verse really points at Psalm 98, talking about the fields, floods, rocks, hills, plains, whole earth, every corner of creation rings out praise to God, and you and I can choose to join in, <laughs> or like the little bell in the hand, we can choose to not <laughs> join in the joy that's ringing across this universe, our choice. Verse 3 is my favorite verse of this hymn. Verse 3 says this, no more. Let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes, Jesus comes, to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. This is the most powerful verse for me. What Jesus came to do is to eradicate what makes a Christmas blue? Sin, sorrow, the curse, every effect of the curse 
why he came as a baby in a manger was to put an end to the eternal implications of sin, sorrow, the thorn, and the curse. And he did. When he, when he lived his life and he died, we all, have, uh, we all know what a cross is. We probably wouldn't know what a manger is if Jesus wasn't born and placed in one. We probably wouldn't know what a cross is if Jesus wasn't killed on one. We don't have electric chairs that anybody wears around on their neck or injection needles or axes or guillotines. A cross was, was the equivalent of those. All it was meant to do was to kill and torture somebody to death for a crime they've committed. You and I would not celebrate a cross if Jesus hadn't come, just like you and I wouldn't know that a manger is a feed trough that a baby goes in if Jesus hadn't come. And the reason why he was on that cross is to put an end to the curse, sin, death, sorrow. Psalm 98 looks forward to the time when he comes back. Did you know that he's coming back? He came once and he's coming again. And while the eternal implications of sin, sorrow, and the curse have been defeated at the cross, the present experience of our creation is going to be one where all of that is gone forever and we don't experience sin and the curse. Revelation 21 through 22 talks about how he's going to wipe away every tear. I like that he wipes away the tears because there's recognition that there's tears. Jesus is a man of sorrow. He knows what sorrows were. He grieved himself. He wept over people that he loved who died. Here's the reason for joy in this verse, is that he comes to make his blessings flow. You know the word blessing? I've been thinking about this word for several years. Bless, um, blessed in particular, the word blessed. Usually in the Bible, we have the word blessed, and it has become sort of like a Christian religious term that has lost what its original meaning is. It really means happy, blessed. When Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, and he said, blessed, are you, blessed are you, it's interesting, he even says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That word blessed actually meant to the people listening, happy are you who mourn, for you will be comforted. It's like a dichotomy that doesn't make sense until you understand the gospel. The reason why he could say, happy are you who mourn, for you will be comforted, is because he knows that one day he's going to wipe away every tear. that we can experience joy through him. And again, look at this. He comes, present tense, right now, to make his blessings flow. His sources of joy and happiness flow throughout everywhere where there's a curse. You could say it this way. There's no curse that Christ will not defeat, redeem, or make new, or has not, one or the other, or an effect of the curse. In Genesis, when Adam and Eve made a choice to be selfish and to reject God and his authority. And what happened was that God brought the curse. There were consequences. It's called sin. But there was a promise also attached that one of the offspring of Eve, the first woman, would crush the serpent's head. And that's what this verse is talking about. An end to the curse and the one who has been a source of many curses in people's lives. So I want to ask you this morning, 
if you have or are right now feeling the effects of the curse somehow today or this Christmas season, how is this world broken for you today? Because this verse is in the song about joy, and it's hard to say, how do I have joy when really what I see is brokenness and sadness and pain and difficulty? What have you been plagued with this Christmas? Maybe you have lost a loved one like our family has. Maybe you've lost a child this year. Maybe you're carrying a deep, dark secret that's causing you pain. Maybe you have a relationship that is broken or fractured or that just didn't work out and it hurts. How can we sing in a broken world like that, joy to the world? I think here's how. Because the greatest blessing, and I'm just going to say this, I'll call blessing a source of joy or happiness. The greatest blessing is not in the absence of pain and difficulty and trial. The greatest blessing is the presence of God with you, no matter what you're experiencing. And that's what Christmas is all about. One of the names of Jesus we celebrate at Christmas is Emmanuel. It means God with us. At Christmas, Jesus, a man who understands your pain and at the same time came as a rescuer, can rescue you from your biggest source of sorrow, the sin that keeps you separated from his joy, the selfishness, the anti-God, I'm going to do it my own way. Jesus came to rescue us from that. And that really can rescue us from what keeps us from joy. Verse 4, we'll close with this verse, and then we'll sing this hymn. He rules the world. Again, every verb is present tense in this. I love it. Right now, he rules. Right now, he causes his blessings to flow. Right now, he reigns with truth and grace. This is probably another reason why this hymn has been connected to, to Christmas is because that he rules with truth and grace is found in John 1.14, which talks about how, let me look it up here. We mentioned it, Tom mentioned it um, last, uh, on Christmas Eve. John 1.14 starts out this way. He says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's where we get the word incarnation. Jesus, the eternal word, the divine God became flesh. He put on flesh. He became a baby, not just a, a person, a baby. And then John says, we observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That phrase connects this verse with Psalm 114, the truth of the incarnation, because he rules the world with truth and grace, and he makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love, wonders of his love, and wonders of his love. Here's another reason for joy, is he rules with grace and truth and love. <laughs> Just adding that in there because that's true, and it's what the verse says. Right now he does. Colossians 2, 9, which I mentioned earlier, but talks about the fullness of of God dwells bodily in Christ or lives in a human body in Christ, verse 10 goes on to say this, and you have been filled by him. This is speaking to people who have put their trust in Christ. When you put your trust in Christ, you have been filled by him 
And the second half of that verse says, who is the head over every ruler and authority. That's why Isaac Watts can say, he has come, is come right now. Those who are in Christ are full of him. The one who has every rule, who, who is head over every ruler and authority. He rules with grace and truth and love. Philippians 2 is another place that talks about this. If you read Philippians 2, it's a great passage that talks about the humility of Jesus. Can you imagine the creator of the universe coming into the form of a baby? Chose to do it. How humble. And there was a purpose to that. The reason why he came to get close to us is so that every knee would bow. Because every knee's gonna bow. You're either going to bow in loyal submission or you're going to bow in fear and trembling at the end of the age when he comes back, which is what Psalm 98 talks about. Philippians 2, 9 and 10 says it this way, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. During our lifetimes here in this present body, we have the opportunity to choose to bow to Jesus and say, you're my Lord, you're my Savior, you're my leader. I can't do it. Or we can live in rejection of him. Today we're going to share communion. Communion is a representation of Jesus' life and death. He came humbly as a servant to offer his life, and the reason he did that is to be a substitute. He came to substitute his life for your life. There's consequences to sin. And the curse, that, the curse that God brought because of the first sin comes down on all of us. Unfortunately, sin doesn't always just affect us. It affects other people. And that first sin affects every other person. Jesus said, I'll live. I'll substitute my life for yours. His sinless, innocent life was offered in exchange for my corrupted, selfish life in your corrupted, selfish life. And how we get access to it is we just say yes to him. We say, I accept that gift that you offer to me. So what we remember in communion this morning is we remember that his body was broken, which is symbolized by the bread, um, the wafer, and that his blood was shed, which is symbolized by the grape juice, and that our sins and corruption and selfishness were laid on him as a substitute for us. Friends, joy to the world (laughs) that that happened. Joy to the world that that happened. We're going to share communion. You can come on up to this table, this table, or this table, whichever one's open when you come up row by row. You don't have to be a member of our church to share. You just have to have said yes to Jesus because that command to remember him is given to those who have chosen to say yes to Jesus. You're my Savior you're my rescuer, you're my Lord. Afterwards, we'll sing this song together. I'll come up and pray and we'll sing this song, Joy to the World, together. Let me pray here before we share the the bread and the juice. Jesus, thank you that you gave us so many reasons for joy. The ultimate one is that you offered your life as a substitute for us, which means not only that we don't have to bear the penalty for our sin and selfishness and wrongdoing and corruption, but also that you will be present with us. Colossians says that we are filled with him who is the head over every ruler and authority. Somehow, that's a mystery to me even now, but that God with us can be continuing to be a present tense experience when we put our faith in you. 
Thanks for giving us this reminder of communion, the bread and the juice that helps us to remember how that's all possible and what it means. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.